I'm Vernon Shendershaker. I'm 18. I created Speak Up, a speech aid for the paralyzed. Whatever you plan on doing or whatever you want to do, you just have to like start. Had I not taken the chance in the first place, then I wouldn't be where I am right now. Anyone can really do anything as long as you have an idea and take it on. Welcome to The Genius Generation, a podcast where we talk to young people doing incredible things in the world of STEM. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Castillo. I'm a science producer, writer, and content creator with a PhD in science communication. I'm here with Varun Chandra Shaker, who is a senior high school student and the inventor of Speak Up, a device that captures the neurological signals from the brain and translates them into words that people are trying to say. So welcome, Varun. Hey. So, okay, so Speak Up sounds like a device from the future. Can you give us a brief rundown as to how the device works? Yeah. Paralyzed people can't communicate and they have to turn to eye and cheek tracking devices to be able to speak. So think of Stephen Hawking, right? He used a device that essentially measured his cheek twitching. That can be extremely slow and fatiguing way to communicate. So what Speak Up does instead is it focuses on translating your brain signals into what you want to actually say. So even though people may be paralyzed, their brain still sends electrical signals to their speech system. And although their muscles may be locked in place and can't act on those signals, you can still capture those signals and translate them into what a person was trying to say in the first place by using some machine learning technology. Are they like wearing a cap? How does the device actually pick up the brain signals? I'm capturing the electrical signals sent to your speech system. So I'm capturing it from your throat. So I'm placing electrodes on the throat and capturing EMG signals through those electrodes that your brain sent. When your brain is telling your arm to move or something, it'll always send EMG signals to your bicep. And so whenever you try to speak, you're also moving to your muscles, like your lips and your tongue in a specific manner. So you're generating EMG signals of certain patterns to be able to say those words in the first place. Wow, that sounds hardcore. How did you get into this? During my sophomore year of high school, I was taking an AP seminar class. And in our AP seminar class, I was researching how technologies used to tackle disability reduction problems. And I ran into this paper in the 1980s that went over some ways to create speech aids for people who are paralyzed. And one of the ideas that were highlighted in that paper was this idea of translating brain signals into the speech or the words that someone actually wanted to say in the first place. And so although they didn't have the ability to do that in the 1980s because of computing power, recently universities like MIT have been able to create these types of speech aids. So last year when I went to do a research project, I was really curious as to how this technology worked and I wanted to create my own little sort of device. So I created a lower cost version and tried to optimize the translation algorithm that took these brain signals and translated them into words. This algorithm that you're talking about, how does that work? Can you give us a little bit clarification as to like how you're optimizing this algorithm? I'm using machine learning technology, which is essentially where you provide a bunch of data to a computer and the computer is tasked with trying to understand how this data fits together and draw patterns within this data set. So like for the letter A, I would have a bunch of 
EMG signals. And for another letter, like the letter E, I would have another set of EMG signals. And the computer would go through this data set and understand that, oh, if the pattern of the signal looks like this, then it has to be the letter A. And if the pattern of the signal looks like this, then it has to be the letter E. Is this something that you taught yourself or is there a class that you're taking? How did you learn to pick up machine learning? I've always wanted to like build things when I was a child. I would like line up dominoes and create like Rube Goldberg machines. And the dream was always like robots, rockets and stuff like that. But I obviously never knew how to go about doing that kind of stuff. And so in seventh grade, my parents bought me an Arduino, which is like a microcontroller that you can program using your laptop to like make like LEDs blink or a motor turn on and stuff like that. And I went through some YouTube videos that taught me how to use a motor or turn on some LED lights or make a little display and stuff like that. So I already had like the basic programming knowledge. And over the summer after sophomore year, I just picked up a course on like Coursera and went through these machine learning courses just because I thought it was interesting. And so I learned the knowledge necessary to be able to implement these machine learning technologies I wanted to kind of circle back really quick into your device when you were trying to teach it the different types of vowels to continue to update the database for your machine learning. Are you connecting your own sensors to your own throat while you were doing this? So that was quite a painful process. I sat down at my desk. I connected those electrodes to my throat. And then I said like the letter A like 200 times. And I would save those signals on like an SD card. Then I'd say the letter E to myself 200 times. And this like took like hours. Sometimes the signals wouldn't record, so I'd have to like shut my device down, restart it again, and then like repeat the whole process. So if I did that for like five letters, that was like 1,000 times of me saying just letters to myself over and over again. I think sometimes when we think of designing inventions, we glamorize it to make it seem like, oh my God, look at the final product when actually it's like the mundaneness and the repetitiveness of it that kind of can be painful, but it's the payout of it actually working at the end. So while you were doing this process, were there any setbacks that you had? Was this the most challenging part in developing this device? There's the coding aspect because you'd always like run into errors. In programming, you'll program something and it'll just spit out like this random error that you have no idea what that means. You'll search it up. They'll give you a bunch of solutions online. None of them work. Now what do you do? You just have to like keep trying and try to figure out what's wrong. And then you'll manage to fix that. But then you fix that error and then you realize there's another error in your code and you go back and look at what else could be wrong. It was just hours of just sitting in front of my computer. And I know that my dad, he'd be sitting in the living room just watching TV and I'd go up to him and be like, I ran into this error, I just don't know how to do this. And then he'd be like, okay. And then I'd go back to my room for a couple hours and then I'd go back to him and I'd be like, I've solved that, but I ran into another error and now I don't know how to do this. And I'd just like be explaining my frustration to him and he just casually sit back and just listen and let me let me have that moment. The second aspect to it that was challenging was the fact that I didn't know whether my project would work or not. Obviously, it's been done before, so I know it's like a possible thing to do because researchers at MIT have been able to create such a device with like high accuracy that could like translate different words in a multitude of words and sentences. But I was using low-cost technology. Like the sensor that I had to take my EMG signals costed like $30 and I bought it off Amazon. So first of all, I don't know if that was an accurate enough sensor to be able to get 
those minute discrepancies in those signals to be able to parse out different letters. And I also didn't know whether or not the algorithms that I was designing would be able to correctly identify whether a certain signal was the letter A or the letter E or whatever vowel it was. And so I was kind of just like blindly hoping it would work. When I made my data set in the first place and then I ran it through my computer and through my algorithm, it put out an accuracy value of like 60%. And that's when I knew that I was roughly in the ballpark of trying to get this to work. In terms of seeing the hope that even though you're using low resources, you are comparing yourself to an institution that has so much more resources like MIT. So that speaks volumes to kind of like your resourcefulness and the fact that even though you're using quote unquote low quality devices from like Amazon as your sensors, that you're still able to produce at least a significant amount of accuracy. I think that's really cool and pretty impressive to think about. So where is your project now? You've trained it with these five vowels. You've been able to see that the accuracy has been up for the most part. What is the next stage? What are the future plans? I'd say the next steps to this project is to just try and implement it for more letters. I think the two main steps are to increase the size of the data set to be able to classify more letters and words and to add more sensors to be able to improve that accuracy. What are your future plans? You're near the end of your high school. You have done a good amount of significant work with Speak Up. Are you wanting to continue that out of high school? I plan on researching more into this technology, which is called brain-computer interfaces in college. But I do plan on continuing this project into college where I have like more resources and help from other people. If you're able to kind of continue to progress this, what is the impact that you're wanting to leave from Speak Up? That's a hard question. Younger students who like ask me, how do you do these projects or how do you go about thinking about this or accomplishing that? I want to let students know that it's not a special ability or a special talent. I'm not a special kid. I'm not a genius. It's just these skills that you learn and acquire. Anyone can really do anything as long as you have those skills to be able to execute a task. And whatever you plan on doing or whatever you want to do, you just have to like start. If I had the idea for my speech aid four years ago when I started programming, there's no shot that I could have done this. But because I took that start four years ago and I developed those skills through smaller projects, I've been able to acquire the knowledge necessary to be able to have an idea and take it on. Had I not taken the chance in the first place, then I wouldn't be where I am right now with this project. Yeah, and I think speaking of the skills that you pick up as you continue to hone in on your device makes me feel like what I get from you is your resourcefulness. Because we have those resources online, for the most part free and available, just taking advantage of those things that we have access to, to kind of like continue to spark that curiosity and spark that desire to want to continue to learn and just use the internet to all of its advantage. And so I think that's really awesome that you speak on that. And it doesn't mean you have to be a genius to think of these things. It's all about just having the curiosity and the resources to continue to foster that curiosity. This was a very insightful conversation. The fact that you're working at the interface of kind of like this new wave of technology and using it to continue to teach it in order for it to be used for paralyzed folks, I think it's awesome and speaks again to like, not your genius, but I guess like your dedication to wanting to create some kind of cause and impact in what you're designing with your 
programming and I hope you continue to develop those skills and I hope to see what's next for you in the future. So thank you so much, Varun, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening this week's episode of Genius Generation. Make sure to tune in next week to hear our next guests and all the incredible things that they're up to. We'll see you next time. Funding for the Genius Generation comes from the Arthur Vining Davis Foundations, investing in our common future. Support for Tracks comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This is Tracks from PRX.